Anyway, today we're going to be talking about Pentecost, how Jesus, um, how less of Jesus can actually mean more of Jesus. And so to do that, we're going to look at a couple things. The minimalist movement, um, Corinna Madison going away to college, um, and a church planner friend of mine um, getting her first core team member. This is what we're going to look at today. So let's pray. Trying God discern in our hearts this will you would have us desire. The love you would shape in our world and the grace that will enable us. Amen. And so anyone heard this, less is more, we should be familiar with that term. Everyone's heard that before, right? And so I had no idea where it comes from, and I like to look stuff up and figure out where sayings and idioms and such come from. So I looked this one up, and it was actually first penned in 1855 by the poet Robert Browning in this poem called The Faultless Painter, if there's any poetry people in here. And so a famous architect, this guy, I'm not even sure if I know how to say his name, Ludwig Mies van der Rohe. Did I do all right? Architects. Yeah, I did all right? Wow. He's the one that made the the, uh, saying famous, right, in architecture. And so when I looked at it, I found that less is more has actually been this really important idea in art, architecture, medicine, music, and in the minimalist movement. But you don't often hear less is more associated with Jesus, right? It seems a little counterintuitive. All right, good. And I have my work cut out for me. I like it. So about a year and a half ago or so, um, Katie and I actually discovered these uh, guys, these two guys that call themselves the minimalists. Anyone heard of them before? All right. So there are two guys, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus, right? So if you look at their website, their big thing is they say they've helped over 20 million people live more meaningful lives through their books and podcasts and documentary on minimalism. And so I think Katie forwarded me like a TED Talk by these guys. And I watched it, and I was totally blown away, and actually took this link and sent it to a few of my friends that thought I thought they might be interested. And so, inspired by this less is more idea, we actually decided to go through our house one space at a time. Um, It took us about, what, six months? Uh, Something like that. Um, Each weekend, and get rid of everything that we weren't using, all the things that were weighing us down, collecting dust. We gave away, if I'm right, we gave away over 10 car and truckloads of stuff to Salvation Army and multiple truckloads of stuff to the Ventura Rescue Mission. So we like, we went for it, all right? Um, And every Saturday when we finished with another room, we felt really good, like it was liberating to get rid of this stuff. We were liberated from clutter and stuff. Most of the stuff was just collecting dust anyway. And the minimalist guys, they claim that less is more, that owning less stuff that focusing on fewer things actually gives us more time, more freedom, and more meaning. That's what they say. And so they claim it also helps to focus us on what's most truly important, and that it reduces anxiety and worry. If those things sound good to you, you should try this. Right? But it's not the point of the sermon. It's only to ask this question. The big question when I looked at this passage is, can less is more ever be true of Jesus? It's true of our stuff. Can that statement be true of Jesus? It may sound ridiculous at the moment, but when you listen to this scripture from John, um, see if you can answer this question. See how this text answers that question. Here we go, from John 15. It jumps around a little bit. The Pentecost reading starts in 15, 26, and 27, then it moves to 16, 4 through 15. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. But I've said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. 
I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. You will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. And so today is this day of Pentecost. It's a celebration day of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. It's also the birthday of the church. So Pentecost comes from this Greek word meaning 50th. The Spirit arrives 50 days after the Passover, and although Pentecost is actually the culmination of the Easter season, what it really does is it invites us to wait and to see what God is going to do next. This is what I think is important. It sets the stage for anticipating all the crazy and exciting new things that God is going to do in the world. And so Jesus here is offering these words of comfort to his disciples immediately before his passion, his death. And so in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he actually taught almost nothing about his departure and very little about the coming spirit. Why is that? Well, Jesus is with his disciples in person. There was no urgent need for them to understand this until we get to this point in the gospel story. Jesus is about to leave. He's about to go back to the place that he came from, back to the Heavenly Father, and he wonders why his closest friends and disciples, why they don't get it. This is a recurring theme. He wonders why they don't get it. And he says, why don't these guys ask me more questions about the place that I'm going? Like Jesus tells them he's going and they don't even ask him, where are you going? Where is this place that you're going? And Jesus is like mystified by this. Why don't they want to know more about it? And I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, wait a second. How could they get it? You know? Jesus is standing right there in front of them in the flesh. He's healthy as a horse. They hear about his departure. They hear about his death. And all they can feel is this sting of sadness, this sense of this impending loss that's about to take place. And they're basically like, what do you mean you're saying you're going to leave us? Like, we don't like it. We We like things the way they are. Why don't you just stay here? You don't need to go anywhere. And it reminded me of when we took Corinne and Madison to college. Now, this is this terrible. I, I promise I actually haven't been doing this to you guys very often. I've been really good. And it just happens that the day that they come back is like I'm picking on them. I'm not really picking on you. But I do owe you because I think it was Dale who said one time while I was preaching that didn't you have like a thing where you gave your kids 10 bucks if you something like that? You told me something once that you had to. No? You just <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll do something nice for you later. 
But it actually, this is what it reminded me of when we took our kids to college, right? We flew up to Spokane to move them both in. We had this really good week. There was a, for me, I was really, really excited for them. I had a lot of anticipation in the college years. I don't know about for you, but for me, these were some of the best years I ever had. And so I was really excited for him. But when the week ended, ooh, much more difficult, you know? It was tough. It was hard to say goodbye. We said our goodbyes, and Katie and I go out to dinner, and by the end of dinner, it's just like meltdown, you know? And I'm like, I'm, I'm begging for the check. I'm like, we got to get out of here as fast as we can so we can be by ourselves, you know? It was really hard. Um, and so I asked this question, can less of your kids ever really mean more? It's a good question. <laughs> My conclusion, after buying bedding and toiletries, decorations for the room, paying tuition, um, we were thousands of dollars poorer. Trust me, that is definitely less, not more. <laughs> I can promise you that. But... We get on the plane, we take off, we're looking out the window of the plane over the beautiful Spokane Valley, and that's when it hit me. Like, we're flying away, we're leaving, and now I'm the one that has tears in my eyes, and I turn to her and I'm like, I want to go back. Like, I wasn't ready to leave either. And so we were, it was really, it was the quietest plane ride like we've ever had. I mean, we barely talked, you know, and the first couple days were pretty tough, and something, I don't know, fourth day-ish, something changed somewhere around there. Um, and we started saying, maybe less can be more. <laughs> like, our house was really quiet in a good way. <laughs> like, the decibels had gone down. Um, we had more food in the fridge. <laughs> the house was the cleanest it had ever been. We learned to do things. We were like, we can do stuff we haven't done in 18 years. This is awesome. You know, like, I took up trying to learn how to play golf. Katie and I are learning Spanish. We're like, this is great. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, we actually really like having you home. I'm <laughs> like, welcome. This is your welcome home for me. <laughs> I'm seriously in so much trouble. <laughs> um, but a couple days of, it was tough for a couple days, but then see, uh, sending them out and watching them flourish brings incredible joy, right? And that's, I think, what I discovered after a couple days, that maybe less can truly mean more. Here's the truth that I came to. Less of them means that they can spread their wings and learn to fly on their own. Something that all of us at some point had to be able to do in our lives. Jesus is leaving to go join the Father. Could the disciples ever get to the place where they will learn to spread their own wings and learn to fly without Jesus? Right? Without the incarnate Jesus in the flesh with them. And so Jesus knows this sadness is going on in their hearts, right? just like we felt when we took our kids to college. Jesus knows this about him. He offers these words of comfort, right? By telling them that this is so crazy. He says, it's going to be to your advantage that I go. Can you see them scratching their heads, making like this dumbfounded look on their face? Like, what, what are you talking about? And Jesus is saying that he must go so that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, can come. Advocate literally means one called alongside. And so Jesus will send the Holy Spirit, the one called to be alongside us. And so we have to ask a good question. Who is this other advocate that Jesus is talking about? It's a key question. It's none other than the spirit of the resurrected Christ himself. This is what Jesus is saying. So Jesus in the flesh had been their first advocate. 
And so the other advocate, after his death and resurrection and ascension, the spirit would be this other advocate, a more permanent advocate, one who would be with them to guide them into the future. And so how hard is this? It's almost impossible for us to believe that this is true. That the Holy Spirit, whom we cannot see and cannot touch, could ever be better than actually having the historical Jesus with you. Think about that for a second. Like when someone says, who do you want to meet in your life? I'm like, I want to meet Magic Johnson and Jesus. Those are like my top two, you know, hopefully in the reverse order. Jesus would come first. But that's, I would love to meet. I mean, this would be incredible. And Jesus is saying, it's actually better. It's going to be better for you that I go. Uh, because the Spirit will come. That maybe less of Jesus can actually be more. And so the Spirit of Jesus is turned loose on the world and this world, the idea with Pentecost is that the world after Pentecost is just is God-drenched. This is what Pentecost really means. And so what does it mean? Uh, what does the advocate do in John's Gospel? So if we were to read, there's, the Acts text is probably the primary Pentecost text. But what does this one say in the Gospel of John about the Spirit? And I think it answers a couple of different questions. It answers what's most wrong with the world, what's most right with the world, and who wins. So really quick, we're going to answer those questions. If I threw the first one out and I said, what is most wrong with the world, what would you say? Are there wrong things in the world? (laughs) How long is that list for you? Like, if we started talking about this, we probably could go on for days listing this stuff, all the stuff that is wrong with the world today. You want to know what Jesus says and what John says in this gospel? He says the root wrong or sin of the world is not believing in Jesus. It's that simple. This is what it says. And so you start thinking about things like, well, for a lot of people, faith or belief in Jesus is like a matter of personal taste or opinion, right? Like a preference, like I like Coke over Pepsi, but Jesus says that the advocate will actually remind us that the fundamental issue in life, the root of kind of this thing that's at the root of what it means to be human, uh, the greatest wrong in the world is to believe that Jesus really isn't all that important, that Jesus really doesn't matter. This is what this teaching is saying. Now, what's most right with the world? How long is that list? As long as the other one? Probably a little shorter. <laughs> but we could probably come up with some things. Uh, what's most right, most helpful? What's the most important thing that the world has ever seen? And so John seems to be saying that Jesus is atoning for the sins of the world, conquering death, offering life. This is the thing that's most right with the world. And then the final point is who wins? And Jesus, you know, like on the surface, the death and departure of Jesus looks like a victory for evil, right? On the surface. And Jesus says, and Easter says, the whole Easter season says that God has achieved the victory because of the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And so to me, one of the more thought-provoking things that I learned this week is this idea that the Holy Spirit, is this, I have not heard this before. We'll see if anyone else has is often called the shy member of the Trinity. Has anyone heard that before? Okay, a couple people. I hadn't really heard this before. You know what I did hear that, I remember Kyle Richman, you guys know Kyle, he called me yesterday and said, oh yeah, what are you guys, what are you doing tomorrow at church? And so I told him, and he said, yeah, Pentecost. He said, well, I just saw this, read this article that most Christian churches don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. I was like, huh, they don't? And he said, yeah, what they say is that everyone talks about Jesus, but no one talks about it. The Holy Spirit. I'm like, well, I'm going to try. You know, I'll see how I do. 
Um, but I like this idea called the shy member of the Trinity. And I was thinking about this and why would that be true? Because the Spirit is always pointing toward, to Jesus. This makes some sense. The Spirit is always pointing to Jesus, teaching us about Jesus, convicting our hearts of the things that we're learning about Jesus, constantly reminding us of Jesus' words, of his way. And so the Spirit exists to point to Jesus. The shy member of the Trinity points away from itself to Christ. And so the Spirit is bound to Jesus like Jesus is to the Father. And so we have this Trinity image shown to be this perfect unity, this perfect community that we enter into by this invitation. And so here's another thought for Pentecost. The Spirit breathes life into the church, into us. Why? For a purpose. That purpose is mission. So that we too, it even said it at the beginning, that we too might also be pointing the world to whom? Our mission is the same, right? And that's what Jesus even says at the very beginning of this, that our job is the same job to point the world to Jesus. And so how about this one? Pentecost isn't really a day. And this is where I think we look at this one day a year. It's not really just a day. It's, all, it's about yesterday, but it's also about today and it's about tomorrow. It's a lot bigger than just a day. It's this idea that God is present and active in the world today and that our job is to cooperate with what the Spirit is doing in the world, to join the Spirit in mission. This is what Pentecost is all about. And so maybe the question for us is something like this. Maybe it's, do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? This might be the important question for us. Or do we just attribute God's work in the world to something else? We can attribute it to a lot of different things. Coincidence, luck, fate, progress, whatever. You pick the thing that we could choose. But the question is, do we see the Holy Spirit at work in the world today? And if so, where do we see it? And so this week I had a phone conversation with a woman. I do some church planning coaching. And so I have a couple coaching clients around the country, and I had this hour-long session with a woman this week. And this is what I thought of when I asked that question. Where do I see the Holy Spirit in the world, uh, at work in the world today? And I had this conversation with her, and I've been coaching her for eight months. And when I started coaching her, she had just lost her entire core team. She's trying to plant a new church. She lost her entire core team that was going to plant with her. And then what I learned when I started coaching her was this is actually the second time that this had happened to her. The first time, her husband was in a tragic, very serious car accident left him with permanent chronic disabilities. He lived, um, but I've met him. He's, he struggles. It's really, life's tough for them. Now here, most people give up. They quit, right? Two times or 14 to span. Most people don't survive one, let alone two, and having to deal with the issues that she has to deal with. But instead, you know what they did? The two of them, her and her husband, for eight months, they've been praying faithfully every day that God would put her in a position to connect with the right people. Eight months that we've been working on this stuff. And this past week, God answers that prayer, big time. She had started volunteering at a local college, university ministry, because she wants to plant a church for younger people uh, that have no religious background or for those that have already just said goodbye to the church for whatever reason, one reason or another. She calls them, like if you've heard this, this is good. She calls them the nuns and the duns, right? <laughs> so should make some sense. <laughs> And so just this past week, one of these students in her group uh, approaches her, someone that she barely knows at all. I'm not even sure how much she, she even knew his name before this, but this kid approaches her and says, I'd really like to 
sit down and talk with you. So she sets up a time at Starbucks to meet this kid for a cup of coffee. Before she could even share her heart for church planning, this guy says to her um, that he'd been praying his entire senior year that God would help him to take the next step in his faith and provide him with an opportunity to serve and to grow. And he says, when I met you, he tells her, God answered that prayer. Um, imagine what she must have been like thinking at that moment. You know, um, This kid who she barely knew approaches her, and now she has her first person committing to join her in this endeavor, her first core team member. So she's pretty happy. When I heard the story, I had a huge smile on my face, right? Not only, this, this is even better, not only does she have her first core team member, this guy is also a trained worship leader. She has a core team member, and she has a worship leader in this, in this week. Uh, this is a really, really big deal for someone in her position. So you start asking, like, well, how, how, does, this, how does this come about? Right? Some might say coincidence. You could say Sandra had a brilliant plan. You could say I was a great coach. Um, when both of us, Sandra and myself, both of us would say no. Because people of faith answer that question differently. When she finished telling me the story, we both said, this is the Holy Spirit at work in ways that we could never possibly have orchestrated, imagined, dreamed up, ever. The Spirit was working in this kid's heart for who knows how long, working in Sandra's life, bringing these two people that just barely even know who each other is, bringing them together. Why? So that the two of them can join with what the Holy Spirit's already doing in the world. What are they going to do? Together, they're going to point people to Jesus. That's what they're going to do with this new church. And so Pentecost isn't just a day that happened 2,000 years ago. It says that the spirit of Jesus has been turned loose, that less of Jesus can actually be more Jesus. And so we gather in community here. We gather together for worship. We gather together only to be sent out to join what the spirit is already up to in the world. And that is the mission of pointing others to Christ. Let's pray. God, you amaze us with your love and your grace. God, you surprise us in ways that we could never have expected or imagined. Continue to surprise us, help us to see you at work in this world, and give us the courage to become your partners in mission. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.